Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and get it automatically that way. If you like the Stitcher app, you can find it there as well. It would be really cool if you rate five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you choose. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow me on Twitter at myfirstsketch. You can head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post any of the videos that we talk about on today's episode. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion. My favorite show of the year is back for 2018. This year, Secret Pants presents Nights in Santa's Service at Johnny Brenda's on Friday, December 21st. As I record this, they've already announced Cups and a Half, Randy Warhol, Allison Zeidman, and the return of Rowan and Hastings. My absolute favorite show of the year without fail. It's like a holiday party for the comedy world. Tickets are $10, and they are more than worth that price. December 21st, Johnny Brenda's, 9 p.m. Another cool thing here in the Philadelphia scene, friend of the show Jack O'Keefe, who is also the sketch producer at Philly Improv Theater, has been putting together a weekly email newsletter to highlight all the cool shows that happen in Philly and more opportunities for writers and actors. So if you want to subscribe, and I think you should, go to tinyletter.com slash phillysketch. All right, on with the show. I've been sitting on this episode for a little while. It was recorded a few months ago, but it's a good one. Today's guest is David Feinberg, currently a member of Philly Improv Theater's sketch team All Night Deli and an improv team there, Whiplash. His first sketch it was actually a video called Noah's Struggle for Manhood, and it was written for his little brother's bar mitzvah. A lot of the humor of the video is visual, so it clearly won't translate to the audio medium. But here's a short clip of audio from the video, so you can get a little taste. They have very different kinds of taste, too. Yeah, but despite their differences, they truly are the best of friends. Now, I hope David will see it as his responsibility to teach Noah what it means to be a man. Golly gee whiz, I can never tell the difference between a cuff and a cuff, a bet and a vet, or a sin and a shin. Oh boy, this is confusing. Hey, maybe I should ask David for help. Despite our differences, we are the best of friends, and isn't it his responsibility to show me what it takes to become a man? Hey, David. Hey, how are you? Uh, good. So tell me, okay, so uh, you sent me a video for yes. your brother's bar mitzvah <laughs> that you wrote. So tell me about 
why you would do such a thing. Um, so uh, the history of this video, if I recall correctly, was um, that <laughs> maybe it was that my parents were in like a last ditch effort to have me find a passion in life or something along those lines. Uh, may they, I think that, I think that I pitched this to them. I was like, you know, what would be fun <laughs> is if I ruined Noah's life <laughs> on video in front of all of his friends. I, uh, <laughs> I remember doing this and then my, my mom is like a very passionate person and she got very much behind this idea of like, oh, let like yes, these boys they'll they'll be together and it'll be like it'll be so much fun, and I I had like no clue what I was doing, <laughs> I th I think I was probably a lot older than most people are when they write like their first thing I suppose, but I'd done like comedy stuff in the past and I I think I just assumed a lot of things and got into it. How yeah. old are like so it's it's your brother's bar mitzvah. So how old are you as you're doing I, it? My brother and I were uh, we're four years, four months, and four days apart. Because <laughs> um, my parents are good at math, uh, I so I guess if he's thirteen, yeah, it's like I was seventeen. Okay, so I it's suppose. not. I don't like. I don't have that many people who have who their first sketch so far have been that old, like within the high school years, like. How, how how old is are people normally when they start off? Is it like I, a little kid thing? No, I most of the people that submit things or the things that we read for the the podcast are like in their twenties, like going to a, a first class. Or very rarely have I gotten people that are like or in college. Uh, I don't have I have very few teenager things. Oh so wow, hard. really? Yeah, I oh, I, I I expected I thought that there was going to be more teenager things when I started this, but I was, I've been wrong so far. Wow. Cause I, I could have sworn that, uh, uh, I, I was so nervous all week. I was like, ah, oh, they're going to think I'm a poser, you know, like, <laughs> no, your, your, your studio audience is going to think I'm a poser or no, whatever. No I don't know what's happening. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I was just sort of like a snot nosed, like 17 year old. I, uh, I was, I was watching it over, last night and i uh i i realized how many bracelets i was wearing <laughs> uh, which was just awful like just a, a terrible terrible uh i'm wearing like a a bracelet probably from like a show or something yeah and, like one of your like just oh I'm, I'm here i'm supposed to be here like yeah yeah like it was definitely it was definitely an attempt to uh get to keep to keep cool, you know, just a, a constant reminder at my uh, public uh, at my at my Jewish private school of uh, that I that I knew who Saint Vincent was and wasn't afraid to talk about it. <laughs> well, I I think bracelets are a are a high school thing because I remember like having those like rope like seat like down the shore bracelets and. Uh, when I worked at camps, like we had the bracelets for swim tests and I wore those for like the full year after anyway. Like, so that's all forgivable. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was talking to somebody not the other day. That's a lie. Uh, but recently enough about, do you remember silly bands? Oh yeah. That looked like uh, various like animals and whatnot. 
Yeah. Uh, those were, those were huge. I mean, they swept across. I have a, I don't mean to brag, but I, I was in, I was in camp counseling for years and I've watched kids uh, fight to the death over those things. Yeah. I, my nephews were, I remember my nephews being really into the silly bands when that came through. Yeah. Yeah. There was also sex bands. What were they called? Like sex bracelets? I don't know. Is this, is this podcast listened to by like a nunnery or anything like that? I don't want to. I don't know. Like <laughs> if, if a nun's listening, please reach out. I want to know yeah, why. Yeah. We would love to hear a nun's first sketch. <laughs> it was uh-huh. like, I, we, we don't have to go into bracelets much longer, <laughs> no. but I, I, I do remember they were like, they were like multicolored bracelets yeah, they were like coded for like what you have done yeah, or... or like what you would do if like, yeah. I remember somebody saying like, if you break one, you have to like blow somebody. And I remember being 13 and like, oh no, like, <laughs> I don't want to jump in the deep end of the pool, literally or figuratively. So obviously watching this video, uh, yeah. you're clearly, you're clearly a fan of comedy. So what's your earliest memory of comedy? Like what, what were you into growing up? Oh, well, you know what? That's a, that was really, I, so my dad who's in this video, uh, is uh, both my parents are in this video and they're both like, you know, they're both very much my comedic influences. Uh, my dad, every year that he like, uh, gets older, he gets like dirtier. And my, my mom is, is, is sort of the same way. They're just like, they're just like old, like dirty and like perverse. I know that that's not a good thing to say about your parents, but like very much so like a, uh, I mean, they, they chuckle to themselves a lot. My, so my dad, one of the earliest things, if you can believe it, both of my parents had an early comedic influence because my dad showed me Mel Brooks is the producers. Well, I must've been like six or something like that. And it was, uh, uh, I remember it being like a revelation my, my dad really liked it. And I remember being, uh, I, I was just into like, you know, my dad really liking something. And so I, I, I remember I didn't get most of the jokes, but I then I, I, ask, yeah. I, yeah. So I, I definitely didn't understand most of the jokes early on, but there, there was definitely a, an element of like, my dad thinks this is cool. But then slowly over the course of years, I mean, I have, I have easily seen the producers 200 times. And and every time I watched it as I was growing up, I would. I remember having more jokes register and like learning. Uh, I learned a lot about like physical humor through that uh, movie. Uh, and I remember. I, I mean, I, I've been a Gene Wilder fan ever since. So the that was that was my dad's side of the influence. And then my mom. This is also a weird story. Is that my mom when I was in kindergarten wanted to uh, bring me to see a, uh, a, a Broadway musical. And uh, for, for weeks, uh, she thought we were going to go see Phantom of the Opera. But uh, there's a part in, I, I don't know if uh, uh, everyone who's listening is familiar, but there's a part in Phantom of the Opera where she, uh, I think she like sees the Phantom for the first time. And it was on the soundtrack that we were playing in the car. We would play the CD in the car every day to get like amped up, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she screams. And I was so full of fear. I was terrified of this moment when she screamed that my mom sold our tickets to Phantom of the Opera 
and ended up buying uh, tickets to La Caja Fall, which is uh, the bird cage, the movie, the bird. Yeah. Cage. So I, I was in kindergarten and I saw La Caja Fall, which has like cross dressing men and like jokes about dicks. And uh, I, I remember it, people were like dumbfounded to watch me walk through the theater and but yet I, I remember thinking it was like a riot. I, I thought it was so funny, all these like dick jokes, and uh, and it, it, as you can see, it's it's uh, been a part of my comedy ever since. Uh, well, I mean, you mentioned like you said going to get theater tickets for in kindergarten, and you said fan. I was like, oh, that's not a good idea, right? Yeah, it's just. And then a, like, were oh, you aware at that age that they were dick jokes? Like, was that fully like? Oh, that's that. Like, so I, I remember there was one thing in it. Number one, I remember being extremely sexually confused uh, at the time. Uh, <laughs> just uh, women and like clad in leather, but they were actually men. I remember a big reveal of that at the very end, the, which which haunts me to this day. But in a comedic sense, uh, I, I couldn't have done much better. I remember there. There's a joke in. I think it's in the birdcage, but maybe it's just in Lacage where, I mean, their house is covered in like phallic images. They're, they have like a statue with like a big dick and it's the light switch for their house. Like the dick is the light switch. And so there's the one part where they're, they're, they're transferring the house over to make it look like a very religious uh, place for uh, his fiance's parents mm-hmm. for the Senator. And I remember the butler has this scene where he goes over to the statue that's dressed like a monk and he like knocks its dick up and it turns the lights on. <laughs> and I remember just having like laughing my ass off about it, like with the rest of the theater too. But it, I, my mom and I, we talk about it to this day that, uh, I mean, it was really, uh, it was by far the most inappropriate thing I could have seen besides like, I don't know, uh, Antigone or something like that. What's the one where he, he uh, Daniel Radcliffe was in and he cuts out his own eyes and he like has sex with a horse or something. Equus. Yeah, that's Equus. <laughs> Antigone. Um, yeah, I, I could have seen Equus and, you know, become a very dramatic writer, but instead <laughs> uh, my mother wanted to put me on sketch comedy. So <laughs> kaboom. as you grow up, what else is there? Like, where do you like get introdu- introduced to like, televised sketch comedy like what's what are you into what are you sure, a fan sure. of not just being foisted upon by your parents um i remember the first uh videos that i watched on youtube were really big for me and uh i i remember a lot of them being like like one of the first youtube videos i ever saw was uh amish paradise the weird Al yankovic song and uh, I remember I loved that. I learned all the words. I still know all the words to Amish Paradise to this day. Uh, and I remember thinking that that was pretty amazing. And I remember I, I listened to Weird Al quite a bit, you know, growing up. Just sort of various selections from like Bad Hair Day and, the, you know, Like a Surgeon and things like that. Um, but re- really early comedic influences. I, I was fortunate enough in middle school we, we started sort of a, uh, I went to a very small middle school and in my grade, there couldn't have been more than like 30 odd kids. I went, I went to a private Jewish day school and 
we actually had, uh, we were fortunate enough to have like two things. Number one was it was considered like social credit in a lot of ways to find really good comedy videos. So we, we watched a lot of things. We watched a lot of, uh, like picnic face, uh, and, uh, you know, things like that. So like, we, I remember we were watching like, uh, picnic face and then we were watch, oh, watching like, you know, like, uh, salad fingers and things like that, like really weird stuff. Uh, a little bit of Tim and Eric got in there. Um, and then we were also growing up during the age of what I think is like the golden era of college humor videos when uh, Streeter Seidel and Sarah Schneider were like really running uh, most of their sketches. And and we, uh, number one, the, the content that was coming out of, uh, you know, college humor at the time, I remember being deeply influenced by like Hardly Working and Bleep Bloop. And, you know, uh, I, I remember like... Uh, you know, like uh, Dan Gerwich was on that and, you know, Jake and Amir was huge for us. And then we started getting into uh, things through College Humor because College Humor, I remember very early on, was very good about introducing you to like new sketch teams. Mm-hmm. So I remember we, we learned about like uh, Murder Fist, Henry Zabrowski's team and uh, Derek Comedy, which is like, uh, you know, Donald Glover's early stuff. And they, so just for a while, we were, and like, uh, uh, who else? Like uh, Bright, Brightanic, who are both writers for uh, uh, SNL right now. And I remember that we, we were just, it, it legitimately became a culture where, number one, you would come in and whoever, it was like two separate competitions of who could find the best videos and then who could perform the videos in their entirety. So there was this whole like memorization kind of a thing going on and you would, you would get like a, you know, so there was a, there was very much like a finding comedy aspect and then very much a performative aspect. And those things meshed together became, I mean, integral to like my social awareness and things like that. Of course I had been like doing like yo mama jokes when I was in like public school and things like that. But I mean, I remember the first time that I was like, wow, this is like really like, uh, you know, a social event was in middle school when, when this sort of culture came around. You might be one of the first people I've talked to that uh, was really big into the viral video thing. Like, I mean, you didn't mention a single television show at all in there. I I mean, I did. I grew up watching a lot of TV. And I, I, I suppose a lot of it is, you know, there underneath. I... I uh, I also had like a a weird like a love of we only recently got like cable in my apartment, but uh, before that we were just watching on like rabbit ears, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I I forgot about my I had like a deep seated fascination with like uh, the Lawrence Welk show when I was growing up, just like really like wholesome wholesome television. I know that's not comedic, but I think uh, with a lot of my sketches like that sort of a thing definitely like squeaks its way in. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, a, a, I, I was into just like a lot of weird shit and my parents were like very much okay with, it, it was almost as if my parents were like bored of watching things that I watched when I was a little kid because I, you know, Mel Brooks was like lauded as, you know, I mean, he was held to this like high echelon. I, I don't know how many, uh, like for Jews, I know that, 
for me growing up, I mean, Mel, Mel Brooks to this day, like it, it's the one thing that I can talk about with like my, my grandmother and my parents <laughs> and my brother and like anyone in my family. I mean, it's, it's like the social currency that his work had. I remember being freaked out by young Frankenstein as like a little kid, but still like understanding the comedic influence that it had. It was a very weird sort of back and forth relationship with comedy that it like, it, it, it truly, truly did like bridge the gap between me and my parents' generation in a lot of ways, because we, I mean, I had things that were, you know, privately my own kind of comedy, sort of like a wacky, crazy new age viral video stuff. Uh, but I also remember a lot of things were like, you know, old things. My parents held up a lot of, you know, old sketch comedy kind of work as, you know, being, you know, hailed. Mm. It definitely connected us. Um, yeah, Mel Brooks is a weird one for me um, because like my first experience with Mel Brooks is Men in Tights. Mm-hmm. And then like it took me like 10 years to like go deeper and like discover like producers and to realize that the producers uh, won an Oscar for writing. Yeah. So amazing and mind blowing to me to think that this like comedy films don't get nominated for that anymore. Like, like bridesmaids did a couple years ago, but it's not a, you know, a, a really true occurrence. It's crazy to me. Absolutely. Yes. I, I mean, I, I, like I said, I mean, I, I hail Mel Brooks as like a, I mean, it's like he's a part of our family, <laughs> but I, I think that his writing, especially, I think a lot about the structure of um, the producers and just the, to even like pitch the idea to someone is like juicy, like two, two producers that want to make something awful is something that you can you can go to like such beautiful limits with and just has so much comedic potential. I remember it, I I think of it, of it now is like the first time that I was introduced as like the the farce of failure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A very like a very I think there is a very important lesson in that. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> uh you mentioned, you know, how like Britannic I was writing for SNL now and uh Streeter and Sarah Schneider. I, I don't know if Sarah Schneider still is, but um I ask everybody, I'm always curious, who's your favorite Center Life cast member? Oh, that's okay. Um in terms of writers or in terms of uh people that like performers? Any any way you wanna if they've worked on SNL, I'll accept it. Okay. Um I think, oh God, I, I love, I I mean, I've been a big fan. I've been a Larry David fan for a very, very long time. I also, I, I tend to over romanticize like, uh, just like Chris, Chris Farley to me is very, very funny. I think that Ooh, this is tough. And I, I love causing dead air. Um, I think my favorite probably would have to be. Uh, I'll say Tina Fey. I think Tina Fey definitely like taught me a lot. And like, uh, I, I, 
if you want to talk about like going back to early influences, 30 rock was the thing that I remember uh, all of my family sitting around and watching and also hailing sort of as a, you know, a high minded idea. And that my parents sort of held up those kinds of moments. I didn't grow up watching a ton of SNL, but I definitely appreciate like what it stands for. But Tina Fey, I, I would say, especially with 30 Rock as an influence, uh, was one of the first people that I ever saw write like things that it was definitely like very juicy comedy that it was like something that you could like, I I've mulled over things that Tina Fey has written, especially on 30 rock for years. One of, one of my favorite jokes in 30 rock is uh, when, when Dr. Spichemin, it's like a, they cut into a scene and Dr. Spichemin is uh, looking at an X-ray of a human chest. And he goes, Hmm, where did I put my keys? And I, <laughs> I remember seeing that for the first time and being like, oh my, oh my fucking God. Like it's a standalone joke that I, I always thought was just absolutely wonderful. And then dot, dot, dot. I mean, she's just an inspiration, you know, like to be a woman and be the head writer and then, you know, do all this amazing performance based work. And also uh, a lot of like improv stuff, you know, is definitely, it's definitely one of those things where, uh, to be like a, a renaissance person in comedy is something that I've always held in very high regard. And she definitely hits the money on that kind of a thing. You mentioned like the, the performative aspect of having to like, or wanting to memorize these like sketch videos that you're watching online. Mm-hmm. How, and I'm going to say, I'm very jealous of this. Uh, Cause I, I know you were involved. How do you get to temple smash? Oh, um, Oh, wow. I can't believe that you're jealous. I mean, it was it was so much fun, but uh, Temple Smash, let me weave you a tale. Um, I, uh, performative aspect was a really big influence on how I got into Smash initially. Um, I started off as an actor on Smash uh, during the first episode of my freshman year, and I uh, I did every single one except for the ones where I was uh, studying abroad. And I regret missing those two deeply. Um, uh, so, I don't know, you just want how I got into it? Well, I mean, okay, so you, it was something like you you were there day one, like, of of being at Temple. Like, mm-hmm. so that's, that's great. Like, did you, did you know about Smash going in? Yeah, so uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ross Wiseman, who uh it was episode three <laughs> a shameless plug oh. uh so uh he uh and i we actually we went to middle school together and so he was part of that uh whole uh sketch video trading culture and uh was also one of the first people to ever in- introduce me to uh tim and eric okay uh ross had i think ross had heard something may- maybe from his older brother or something like that he, they all we knew about the show coming into it was that we, it was almost like this well-kept secret kind of a thing that like only really cool kids knew about. Um, Ross had heard something. He said, there's this show that I keep hearing about called Temple Smash. And it was, it was very impressive to me. I remember because we heard about it before we got to the campus. Uh, we, we had heard that there was this like indie 
comedy show that you could audition for if you went to Temple. And so we instantaneously, like, we, we were both, like, very much comedy junkies. We, we were not, like, I don't know about Ross, but I know that I wasn't someone who, like, considered it in my future. I definitely liked per- performing, but I, I, I didn't know how seriously you could take it. Um, in the first week of college, I went to a Temple Improv Club, uh, and I met Molly Scullion and John Plester, uh, both of whom are very active, you know, mm-hmm. comedically, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I remember talk, we, we talked to them for quite a while, and they were both very much ingrained in and uh, seismic portions of the history of Temple Smash. Uh, and they told us about where we could find the auditions. And that was what was really cool about it was that there was outreach, but a lot of it was word of mouth. And I, I mean, I, I'm proud to say that to this day is that a lot of kids coming out of high school know about the show because it's got, a, I mean, it's got like a cool, you know, stoner underground vibe or whatever. Uh, so we auditioned and we both got on as actors and did very small bit parts and, uh, as we moved up the ranks, I mean, we, we went from acting and like whatever we could to, uh, I remember Ross started writing earlier than I did. And then, uh, we, uh, I was like directing some sketches and things like that. And then, uh, in, as time went on, I joined the writing team. Uh, and then in my, in my final year, I became uh, one of the executive producers and, uh, it was at that time that, I mean, the, the show, uh, uh, to speak of Temple Smash, like I, I could never overstate the influence that it had on me in a lot of ways. I I really like uh, found, you know, my, my group of friends, people that I, you know, ended up like, uh, you know, uh, dating, you know, people that I really found a lot of like, you know, influence from. I, the, the list goes on and on, but I... I became very much like a Temple Smash, like history aficionado. I held a lot, especially as like a freshman, I remember. Um, I mean, just Cole Johnston, who's on Hoffman, uh, John Plester, Molly Scullion, Jess Smith, Will Downey. I mean, these are all names that like, they they didn't mean a lot. Uh, Caitlin Feeney was on it. Uh, Caitlin Weigold, Andrew Weigold. There were insane insane performers that were just doing whatever they wanted and it was like you know a a sanctioned program it was super like it felt punk rock and cool and you were like hanging out with older kids and if if you could cut the mustard you know comedically you could really go you know tit for tat with anybody that you wanted to and get up there on stage i mean by by my like third or fourth episode i was like you know, getting rowdy on stage, you know, like really getting to have that performative aspect and being trusted comedically by a group of people that I thought were, I mean, they were like titans walking among men. It was some of the, the comedy blew my mind out of my ass. I mean, uh, even just thinking about it now, like Dave Pinchinetti, who was on Dr. Sleepover, they introduced me to sketch comedy and then they also introduced me to this amazing group of friends and they, uh, you know, they introduced me to improv and, you know, 
they introduced me to the Philly Improv Theater. They introduced you, you know, to a bunch of, you know, the comedic world was opened up in that room in Barton Hall at Temple University that day. Aaron Dahoney, I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, Greg, uh, the 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 list of people that were on that show, and even the ones that I don't know who were before my time. I mean, I ta- I have been in job interviews with people, and I've told them that I've worked on Temple Smash, and they go, "Oh, we know Temple Smash," and they're like adults. It's the the influence that it has, and to be a, a small portion of its history is. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's uh, it's my arc de triomphe uh, to be too dramatic about it. See, and you you talk about it that way, and you wonder why I say I'm jealous of it. Like, I wish I had that kind of experience in my college days. Of like, I wanted, I would have loved if my uh, silly private Christian school had a sketch comedy troupe. It wouldn't have but I would have loved it. Um, so you're still doing improv as you go through uh, Temple as well? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, sketch and improv were uh, the name of the game right off the bat for me. Uh, I, uh, the, My second year, uh, Molly Scullion uh, made me president of Temple Improv Club, uh, which I, which people have said that I ran like a Nazi. Uh, I was I was very much a zealot about it, uh, and I apologize to everyone who I hurt and turned away from improv. It was a it, it was a, an Adderall fueled rage, and I, I truly apologize from the bottom of my heart. That being said, I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I uh, it was it was very much a uh, I mean for pretty much all of freshman year, I was like improv obsessed. I was at fit every weekend pretty much and seeing teams that like, you know, really blew my mind. Uh, I mean, the future I think is like the best improv team in the city, but I think that Hoffman is my favorite and both of those teams had people that were on smash. So the two worlds were so, uh, interconnected in a way, uh, that, it, it was absolutely uh, breathtaking to be like working with people that you would watch perform every weekend. Uh, did yeah. you go through the classes at fit? I did. I, uh, I actually, weirdly enough, I only recently finished uh 401. Uh, I took a, I took a break after uh, I, I had an, an improv team for a while uh, called uh, ice cream social. Uh, and we, we, we had a little bit of a, a tiff and then a, a breakup uh but it, it was it was one of those things that sort of pushed me away from improv for a little while and uh but now i uh i perform every wednesday with a uh, whiplash but you also just got on to the new uh fit house fit sketch team all night deli so that is correct so i've yeah. been asking uh people because i'm always curious like uh well, I, I asked Jack Presby this, and I'm going to ask you this. Uh, what did you put for your – what is your philosophy in comedy? Oh, God. If I, if I only remembered. I think it's – so, uh, I mean, if I, if I could go off the dome here, uh, my philosophy in comedy is definitely – I think that emotional response is what I like to get from an audience. 
that that is really a I, I think that it as long as you're provoking an emotion like uh, uh, and this is you know after like a lot of you know looking around at all of the different stuff that I've uh, you know watched and really uh, held high I think that just producing an emotion and an audience is if it's put into a the the setting of a of comedy I think that that's doing it up I love when an audience laughs don't get me wrong but there, there's definitely uh, a sensibility of, uh, I, I've definitely written sketches in the past where I said, oh, I want the audience to feel deeply, deeply sad because of this sketch. I want the audience to feel uncomfortable because of this sketch. I want the audience to, you know, uh, you know, get freaked out because of this thing. I, I think that really, uh, I think the magic of comedy is in that, that you can, get in someone's face, you know, and, and, and scream at them and, and yell and, and just, you know, in a character and it's, you know, it's perfectly all right. I think, yeah, the, an emotional response is, is the top of the marks for me, I think. Uh, so seeing, I hope that's what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> you only had like a hundred characters, yeah. so it wasn't that long for sure. <laughs> it definitely didn't ramble this much. No, that's all good. That all sounded great. Um, <laughs> after see, okay, so I saw All Night Deli opening night, um, and I was really impressed with. Uh, and I don't know if you wrote these specific sketches, but the sketches that you're in, you played really strong characters, and you actually broke one of my rules, and you actually did a good job of breaking it. So I'm like, it's I'm fine, because I hate uh, when people do celebrity impressions. And uh-huh. don't do them well, and I really enjoy oh, your yeah. Bob Dylan. Oh, thank you very yeah, much. So, like, uh, uh, is, that, <laughs> is that is character work something that you're drawn to more so than like doing like a satire or like doing some other kind of piece? But like, um, uh, that's an inter- I'm, it's a really interesting uh, question. I I think um, I remember very early on at Smash, I started when I, when I wasn't writing yet. Uh, I, I took on a lot of roles. I play a lot of roles that are like uh, big, angry characters. Uh, I, I do I do a lot of I find myself in characters a lot where I'm yelling. Uh, the joke about me at Smash was that I always played an angry doctor, uh, <laughs> and people people often I mean the, you know there's so much psychological mining that comes out of at least for me, when I when I look at you know my own characters or what's the underlying message of this thing, uh, I feel like that's an early Plester influence. Is a you know a really looking into my sketches. Uh, John was always a big uh, proponent of that, and uh, so was I. I mean, I love to get into the psychology of it. My uh, I did. I played a lot of like uh, I, I people often said I played authority figures that were screaming, and. So that that is definitely an early thing. Uh, just performance-wise, I find that that's in my pocket quite a bit. Um, but then uh, when I write, I feel like it's very different. I, I, I like to find, uh, I mean, it is very much a character-driven kind of a thing with a lot of the sketches that I write. Um, but I also, I find, uh, I find advertisements very funny. I, I, so I, I did write the Bob Dylan sketch, uh, mm-hmm. and 
that was just sort of like, I, I, I was like listening to an interview with Bob Dylan, not to toot, toot my own horn or anything, but uh, NPR's Blank on Blank is a great series. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, I was listening to it and I was like, what a ridiculous, you know, sounding person. And then uh, people, uh, I, I, you know, I pitched it and I just did like a shitty Bob Dylan impression. But people seem to, it's, you know, it's, it's playing caricature. You know, you're yeah. this overblown version of, of whatever is, uh, you know, uh, has to come across. And that, that is definitely a, a big influence on me. But I also, uh, especially in my early years in college, uh, I, I was very much like a, a, a zealous, like a liberal for a very long time. And uh, I had a lot of moments where I, I was uh, a very much like a... a what? Oh God! What's the word? Um, I, I hated. Oh, I was like a luddite for a very long time. I mean, I, I was like very much a rejecter of technology and advertising and all this. You know, just like stupid freshman year bullshit kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I was wearing like black pea coats and shit like that. It was awful. But like out of that, I mean, I I write a lot of sketches of like parodied versions of commercials you know mm-hmm. uh i i wrote uh the the drunk christmas classics uh sketch and i find that a lot i mean i can write you know uh those kinds of things all the time when i was at smash i was writing um i i wrote a a fake like all-knowing corporation called omnicorp uh, that worked itself into a lot of my different stuff. And uh, I worked with uh, our art director, Mary Watts, who is very talented. And she would make me posters and things like that of like Omnicorp that said like work is fun and stuff like that. I mean, she she really picked up on like the underside of it. And it, it definitely got like a darker angle. And uh, that that was very much like my comedic influence was, I mean, I was a very like, I was a very, I, I still am, I suppose, in a lot of ways. I'm a very frustrated, impatient person. And uh, I feel like it plays into a lot of my comedy. I, Especially like with Whiplash right now, I, even in my improv scenes, I mean, I'm constantly like cutting people's noses off or like stabbing them and stuff like that. It's probably, I'm sure a psychologist would have a field day, you know, <laughs> going through these sketches and re- really getting into the early stuff. You know, when was the first time that I uh, discovered myself, you know, sexually, all, all these kinds of things. But uh, we don't have 10 hours. No, I don't. Yeah. And if we're going to do if we were going to go through that, I would charge. <laughs> uh, you mentioned whiplash. And I'm always curious uh, about people that straddle both sketch and improv. Like, do you improv to write? Hmm. Um, I mean, that, that is very much a, a question. I mean, when I, I guess when I was writing the Bob Dylan sketch, I had a lot of moments where it's, it's just sort of a fun voice that you can pick up and and walk around the house with. Mm -hmm. And that is normally how I write sketches is that I, I I mean, I'll get into like a frantic episode of, you know, writing and then I'll I'll be like singing to myself, you know, and then just even from like little sounds and things, I find that those are good tipping off points but uh and you can ask this to the 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 poor poor edelman uh siblings 
uh, I did Bob Dylan on Gimmick Show, and it became like a bacchanal of just like nonsense words. <laughs> uh, and a, a lot of people really liked it. But it, to me, it, it's just like, you know, getting up there and, and having fun. I find that, you know, both sides of the coin really do influence each other in a lot of ways for me. That that there's like, you know, a sensibility of, you know, the performative aspect was definitely something that I brought to my writing. And I think I still, I wouldn't call myself a dialogue driven writer. I would say, if that makes sense, like what I write, I don't think is funny on paper, but it's funny performed, I suppose. And that, that I think would, I would call a weakness in my writing. Like not, not everyone could do every sketch that I write. And that, that is the most pretentious thing I've ever said. And I want to acknowledge that, but you know, I, I want you to be performing. I want to see, you know, a larger than life thing going on. And uh, because I think that besides just being something that, you know, I, I want there to be a, an emotional response, but I also, I love the idea of, you know, uh, this larger than life character is seeing something that you see in your everyday, just like magnified a thousand times is, is so wonderful to me. I, I think it, it's truly like the power of comedy and blah, blah, blah. I'll, I'll start tearing up. Uh, here's a unfair question. Uh, if you could only do one for the rest of your life in proper sketch. Ooh, that that is a really hard question. I ooh, I think sketch has improv in it, and that's the only reason that I would pick it. I suppose is because I and people absolutely hate this, but I, I have a lot of things where, like, if I'm and you saw the all night deli show when I, when I was playing that dad character, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, a lot of that is just, you know, uh, Bill being so comfortable with me, like going up and he, he said, you know what, just like do, do what you want with it. And, uh, he really like, you know, let me loose on the reins. So I've, I've definitely, I, I mean, I've always been that person who sort of assholishly, asserts themselves into it uh camera people hated me at smash (laughs) because i would just run all over the goddamn place uh and i i feel like that's but i feel like that's part of it is that especially especially for me i hate that the sort of divides that happen between people in in our community that the the improvisers sometimes feel that they have to stay away from sketch and the sketch people feel that they have to stay away from improv and stand up thrown in the mix stand up never comes across the street to fit and fit never goes to you know helium or anything like that i think that all of those worlds really combine because essentially you know putting it into different camps for me is you know it's it's suicide because it's it's all comedy i feel like if you if you pull down those lines and things you're just getting comedy underneath it all and i th- feel like that you know that's the fun Underneath it, you're not doing sketch or improv or stand up. You're just, you know, doing comedy. Yeah. Like we're all trying yeah. for the same reaction. We're all trying for the same end point. We're just all going about different means for it. Like Exactly. And I, I think that the purest 
element of all that, you know, can really, you know, punch us in the gut because we start making the same thing over and over again. Uh, so you've been doing stuff for a while, even going like, I mean, Temple Smash and, uh, you know, that adds four years automatically to your career. But like, what's something that you've mm-hmm. learned so far that you would pass on to a new writer? Like a new freshman kid comes into Temple Smash, what would what would be a piece of advice you'd give to him? Her, him or her? Mm. I think the, the biggest piece of advice that I would say is uh, Shonda, Shonda Rhimes had this whole thing. Was it Shonda Rhimes? Who wrote Scandal? Yeah, Shonda Rhimes. That, yeah, it's Shonda Rhimes. She had this whole thing about that. I, I was listening to a podcast about she had the, like the year of yes, where she was just saying yes to like everything that came across her way. And I, I was, I was amazed to hear it uh, because when I was first starting off doing comedy, that was, I mean, I'm not Shonda Rhimes and I don't, I don't want to say that uh, I am Christ-like, but uh, not Shonda Rhimes. Uh, I, I remember the, a, a big portion of my freshman year and getting into smash and, you know, becoming a part of that community was saying yes to every single thing that came across my plate. I think that if you love comedy and you really want to do it all the goddamn time, then do it all the goddamn time. When people are like, Hey, do you want to film a video like on our phones for a a class project that I have? Say yes. I, I think that, Number one, I think making comedy is the most fucking fun thing I've, I ever do. I love, love, love the process of just doing it, writing it, editing it. It's all so much fun. And I think that, you know, snagging as many of those opportunities as you possibly can is, uh, I mean, who wouldn't? I, of course, later on, you get super busy, but like, while you can, if you have the opportunity to just go out and, you know, get into it, get into it. That and uh, I, I also think that trading around, you know, your comedic influences. One of the big things that I always liked at Smash was we would uh, under Ian Fletcher's uh, guide, you know, guiding light. He he was our head writer, and he would talk to us. He would often he would like show you something. I had I had a sketch I was writing. Where I said, is this funny because of this? I don't want it to be funny just because this character seems like this. And he said, no, here, look at this. And he showed me like uh, the UCB team legs for days. And it was, I mean, it was, it was all about like trading influences, talking to people about what they find funny from like, you know, bus drivers to, you know, your best friend, just trading around weird, creepy, silly videos. As I, I, I think the the amount of influence that those things can have on you should never be uh underestimated i absolutely love that kind of stuff yeah i think i always say like think that comedy is universal and if you don't if there's someone that doesn't like a comedy or anything they're just completely untrustworthy like no matter what it is that's making them laugh like pretty much everyone in the world wants to laugh at some point so yeah uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, everybody loves laughing. It, maybe you laugh at different stuff, but I, I love that kind of like, you know what you've probably done this where you laugh with an old person, like on a bus or something. And it's like, ah, oh, man, this is the best, <laughs> you know, you're just strangers, strangers in the night. 
And you mentioned a couple of reasons like throughout this already, but why, why comedy? Why is this how you spend your time? Like, I mean, you have it, you're on the new improv team. You're on the new sketch team. That's going to take up a lot of your time. So why is comedy mm-hmm. the way for you? Because it just cuts through like all the bullshit, you know, there's, I feel like in life we're just, sub, you're subjected to so many, you have to listen to someone give a speech about how they got a colonoscopy and it's like not interesting or at all because I don't know, to me from a very early age, I mean, funny things are just, I mean, it's what I live my life for. Like it, it, I, I can't think of a time where it wasn't so like integral to me to make somebody laugh. Just it's the best feeling in the world when you do it to somebody else. And then, it, I mean, it's, it's entirely free. It's, it's in many ways, it's, it's the ultimate drug to me because it's like, you know, it's, it's free. It makes you feel amazing and you can do it with literally anyone on the earth. If you work hard enough, you know, uh, I, I can't think of something that, I mean, I love, I love candy <laughs> and ice cream, but like you have to go pay for it and shit like that. Comedy. You could, I mean, you can, I farted the other day in my room and I laughed my ass off because it's just like there are so many things once you once you see that the world is nothing but fucking funny you'll never work another day again in your life when someone falls down or like you know accidentally like you know they run over their dog with a you know a, a, a with a concrete press or whatever you know, like a, a steam engine, you know, you know, kills a, a, a show goat or something like that. It's fun. Like if, if shit is funny, who gives a shit? Like life is so crushingly sad at all ends that you might as well, you know, just goof around, make fart jokes. Who gives a shit? You know, it's, I, I, it sounds overblown, but I, I can't think of a better thing in the goddamn world. I just I I love it to my core. I I don't love sports. I don't love I you know I don't love you know oil painting. This is the thing that got to me first and maybe it, it would have been different had it been something else but I I just I love every single aspect of it. I can't think of I mean a little bit less, you know, sexist, you know, sessions would be nice and you know if people would stop making, you know, jokes about you know gay people at open mics that would be great too but i don't know it's just it's this amazing amazing uniting force that i can't seem to make one clear sentence about right now i've studied it relentlessly and i can't seem to articulate myself that's that's all great like that totally made sense to me and just to think if you saw uh (laughs) phantom instead of kaja fall you know who knows what happened yeah, I could have uh, like I could have become the David Mamet of Philadelphia. <laughs> that would have been a lot sadder, I think. I don't know. A couple of David Mamet's movies are funny, right? Yeah, yeah. I suppose you know what? Me. That's true. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I think Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is very funny. <laughs> right. We're talking about his balls are like concrete or whatever. But whatever. <laughs> we all know. All right. Thanks, David.
You can see David as Whiplash finish their run on Wednesday nights at Philly Improv Theater. Their finale on Wednesdays is December 19th. David is also doing a monologue at the Monologues One Player Show on Thursday, December 13th at 7.30. Patrick Maxwell, who is in the Pat and Andy show, and I had the pleasure of directing when I did Sinker Sketch a couple weeks ago, is performing in the One Player Show in that block. It'll be a really good show, 7.30, December 13th. And I'm hearing All Night Deli, David's sketch group, will return to fit in the new year. So keep your eyes peeled for that. More information for all those shows is available at fitcomedy.com. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy. <laughs>